Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi guys, summer's finally here and I'm looking forward to catching up with friends and family as much as possible. At all those get-togethers, I like to have the option of being able to moderate my alcohol intake without missing out on the occasion. That's when I love a refreshing Atopia and Tonic. It's an award-winning non-alcoholic spirit with all the flavour of a premium gin but less than 0.5% alcohol. Our friends at Atopia have given us an exclusive offer for Open Mind listeners. Just head over to clinkspirits.com and use the code OPENMIND at checkout to get £5 off a bottle of Atopia and free shipping. Enjoy the summer with a bit of mindful moderation. This podcast will contain real conversation around suicide. Listener discretion is advised, so please only listen if it feels safe for you. Hi and welcome to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Today I'm joined by multi-award winning comedian, writer and presenter, Russell Kane. Hi Russell. Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, you? Yeah, good, thank you. I was, I was, I'm was. i not going to lie, I was just uh, refreshing my Insta feed. Maybe we should talk about that. Was that, you? Uh, that is, it's almost... I was introing you onto uh, uh, my podcast. It's because I've just, I've just done something that's quite sort of out of my comfort zone. And you know when you just want to do a safety check, have I fucked up? Because if you, when you go on flight mode for an hour after dropping something a little bit out of your zone, 60 minutes later it's too late to pull that out of the public sphere. So I just wanted to make sure it was all laughy faces and now I'm in flight mode. And as someone who has to, who your living is to make people laugh, you actually talk about mental health quite a lot. Like your own podcast is all about men, like encouraging men to speak more, isn't it? Yeah. So I started this, uh, it was originally called Boys Don't Cry and it's called Man Baggage now. It had a rebranding. So I noticed that when I first started doing this show about maybe four or five years ago, there was a bit of a, oh God, please come on. What have men got to moan about? Men have got all of the power, all of the privilege. It's like, oh, girls can't even have feminism now. Men have got to have something as well. Grow up, you fucking lose. I got a little bit of that online. Really? And it's really changed over the last five years because people tend to have brothers, husbands, sons and uncles. And whether you like it or not, men are seven times more likely to top themselves, a lot more likely to get a mental illness. I don't have those stats at my fingertips, but basically we're just a lot more fucked up from age 14 till age 70. So no one's suggesting that there's not a long way to go on feminism with equal wages and working out how we what happens when a woman has a child. It's not obviously not fair in the workplace. And we've seen safety issues with the Everard murder last year. We know we've got a lot to do with women. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. I'm just asking the question, if we fixed men a bit, might it help the struggle of feminism too? Question. Probably yes. 100%. If you don't have toxic men beating their hairy or waxed chests, we don't even know what they're supposed to be anymore, insecure <laughs> about their own masculinity, maybe they wouldn't be trying to earn more than women all the time to feel like men. Maybe that would disappear mm. if men weren't bellends. So I thought, great. And that conversation started to happen. Men need to shit. Just uh, time to talk. And all this great stuff started to happen. And guess who got left behind? All of the working class men who aren't, comfortable putting on a cardigan and going to a coffee morning about men's feelings those things are important they're vitally fucking important it's important what we're doing now 
But trust me when I say a large proportion of men, although they would agree with what I'm saying, cannot pick up that phone or go to that coffee morning. So we all sort of, pardon my language, sucking each other's dicks, doing all middle class things. And we're leaving behind your Gary's, Dave's and Dwayne's of this world who might not (laughs) have that verbal confidence to go, oh, I'm feeling Mm -hmm. a bit down. Because that's not the environment we grew up in if our dads were manual labourers or we came from single parent households. And is is that where you think it came from? Yes. Because you talk about a lot about the fact that your dad was like a proper lad. Yeah. Like... He was a geezer. Yeah. And a you're, geezer. you're an Essex boy, aren't you? He was a geezer rather than a lad. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in... Um, a lot of my childhood was in in Enfield on the border of Essex and London. And my dad was from South End and Barking and Lee. And I ended up living in South End. So, yeah, all around there. And there's definitely a masculinity culture there. So the, the very long, inarticulate answer to your question is I created this man baggage. So there's more humour around the debate. And people are scared of using humour when they talk about mental health. I can't speak for women, and I'm pretty sure that um, using humour to discuss, I don't know, a miscarriage or infant cocktail, I don't know if it would work in the female realm. But with the things men are dealing with, testicular cancer, loss, death, suicide, marriage breakup, things just as heavy as what women are going through, for some bizarre reason, a little bit of humour can bring these guys just out into the conversation. I'm not saying your friend killed himself, ha ha. I'm saying, yeah, 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 tits football, tits football, tits football. How are you, Gary? That's yeah. the technique. <laughs> and I suppose the reason girls don't use it is girls don't need it. If that's the main difference I've seen between gender, I think that's what is the difference in the death rate. There is no difference between men and women. It's that women have other women. They surround themselves with other girls. It's all right. It's Frankie. Oh my God, she's not talking. Why is she not texting back? Prosecco ambulance. Frankie's house. Now, aromatherapy candle. <laughs> it can't be changed, babe, but at least we've spoken about it. That vibe. <laughs> Whereas men, men are... Prosecco ambulance. But you know what men are like? You live with one. Men are... What's the point of talking about it if it can't be changed? It's broken. So I don't mm-hmm. discuss it. What they don't realise is it's the discussing of something which cannot be fixed, which is in itself restorative and healing. That's the insight. So that's why we, that's why we talk shit a lot of the time. But how point of thinking, right, something needs to be done with this? Were you struggling? Were you, or did you? could you just see it, it came out. It came you? out of a stand-up routine I was doing. I, I did, used to do a routine about, oh, Carol's beak's gone grey. Form a circle. And then I do, like, all the women form. Guard the eggs, Carol's vulnerable. And then I, then I do the man version going, Gary's got depression, put him in the bushes. I don't want to watch it. It's his deposit to Falaraki he's going to lose. It was just like a little <laughs> so joke. True. And then there'd be a laugh. But then I'd get messages afterwards going, it's so important what you're saying mm. about men. I'm like, it's a throwaway line. And then I realised I was onto something. And then when I started doing Boys Don't Cry or Man Baggage, as it's now called, I started getting a lot of messages And some men started telling me things that they've told no one. I've had at least a dozen big, burly, Gary, Dave types telling me their abuse stories that they have told, Mm. I mean, to not a soul, not a counsellor, not a teacher, not to their wives, not to a mate, to no one, just to put it out there. Please don't reply. I just want to tell you. And I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, really? I'm literally, if you listen to Man Baggage, we talk We talk about, oh, why do men wax here? But we just, it's humour all the way through with the occasional boom, boom, boom. That should tell you that we've got the wrong approach sometimes with some men. The, you know, the down the pub type thing, that banter is, gets a lot of stick, that word banter. And it, there is some banter that isn't healthy, but it can be a key sometimes to unlock 
some blokes. And that's why, girls, don't beat yourself up. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that there's anything wrong with your marriage. He didn't confide in you. It's just sometimes not easy to have as a serious conversation. And that's hard for women to understand. It's like, but he's talking about a testicular cancer diagnosis. He's not revealed to me. I'm hardly going to come in with a clown nose on. But Mm. you'd be surprised that sometimes that direct approach can be very confrontational to some men and they shut down, shut down, skepta style. I feel like you see a lot of that in in the army. Like I found over the years of like going and, you know, meeting the troops and things like that. And like, I remember the shock of when, you know, someone came in and they'd lost like both their legs and the, the banter and the jokes that would happen when they came in the room or whatever. But they'd all, they always all seemed really happy and to laugh a lot. And I realised early on that that is how men deal with it. It might not work for everyone, but they did all seem genuinely, instead of ignoring it and being like, oh, he's coming in, no one look at the fact that he's in a wheelchair and da-da-da, it was spoken about, but they all spoke about it in a way that they all felt comfortable. Exactly. It's probably how sport functions for... Uh, you know, why is football so much more popular with men than women? It shouldn't be on, on you know, it's sport. We all like watching sport. It's theatre. But it probably stands in as a proxy for the type of socialising women can do, talking about the real shit. Men that can't do that, they'll put a football match in its place and it's a way of hugging, of touching, of having contact, of having emotion together as men that feels safer then tell me about how you feel about your wife, Dave. Oh, I will, Terry. Uh, how's your intimacy issues with Debbie? It's just not going to happen. <laughs> no, that's so true. It's like that, is it Mickey Flanagan? And he says, like, oh, when we go out to the pub and your wife's like, oh, find out how Sue is. Ask him how Sue is. And he's like, we're not going to talk about Sue. Like, no. We're not going to talk about the wife. Exactly. So, like, women, you go out and they would say, like, oh, how's Russell doing? And yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't have those same conversations. I can come back from a six, seven-hour sesh at the pub with no details. And it's like, <laughs> but what? She's like, you know, you know, J- Jake lost his job. How's he coping? We didn't talk about, how can you fucking not call, <laughs> talk about that? His wife's left him. How's his sick child? And all that stuff. And she's like, what the? What did you actually? There was no football match on. You were sat around a table what the fuck did you talk about? And I have to think through, I'm like, pretty sure we just sent each other like rude memes off our phone, <laughs> watched porn together off our phone at the same time, talk shit, talked about watches. You've seen that car? Fucking imagine how much that costs. Like teenagers and then came home. <laughs> and had a great night. It was. I know nothing about Boobs, each other. cars, it's porn, so funny, home. Isn't it? And nothing changes. <laughs> I feel like you talk about porn quite a lot. <laughs> do I? Do you remember we had to go up north to do like in-house chat? I remember it. And yeah. I was like interviewing you and like two other people. And you rightly say we're talking about the effects of porn on young people and whatever and, and boys online. And the woman was literally at the back of the room just looking at me saying like, stop him, we stop have to, him. We, but we and have I was to. like, I can't <laughs> stop him. So I feel like that's something you feel very passionate about. It's also about. part of the problem. As soon as we start to talk about sex with teenagers, oh, it's, it's different, special. We need to get it signed off by lawyers. It's in a different area. Why? This is the issue. By putting it on a high shelf in a spangly locked box that needs special lawyers to talk about, guess what the teenagers want to do? They want to open the box and they want to know what's in it. In cultures like a Dutch culture or Swedish culture where sex is taught and spoken about like we'd learn about the weather or the patterns of the ocean or the environment where it's more normalised, where it's taught in primary school, in fact, some countries teach sex education at five, six, seven years old, and rightly so. Why is it put in some 
special. Oh, it's not quite ready to talk about it yet. You're, I've got a six-year-old girl now. She's six in October. Already curious about things like that, blushing when the Disney prince and princess kiss on screen. There's obviously something instinctive in children where they've got questions. Now, if you leave those questions unanswered till they're 13, 14, 15, they will go and answer them for themselves through experimentation. Mm -hmm. Same goes for drugs and all that. So I just believe in providing information neutrally to children. It shouldn't be like, oh, you know, we've discussed consensual sex when eight-year-olds are in the room. That's the age to start putting the knowledge in these children's heads before they're sexually active, before they have any feelings, so that when puberty does hit, particularly girls are armed with information that's totally normal. Just like they know about Henry, who Henry VIII was or they know how the weather works or they know to recycle. All of those things should be have equal billing, in my opinion. Yeah. Did you have sex education at school? Because I remember in my year, at the last year of primary school, only one of the classes had it. And they all came out with like um, tampons and sanitary towels. And I remember being like, what is going on? But it was the only class. And then yeah. none of the other, it was like they saw them as being the ones that were kind of at that point, but the rest of us weren't. I mean, ridiculous. It's so it, weird. It's, very, it's rare that you would get anything at primary school in England. In fact, it's still, I'm pretty sure, enshrined in law that we don't teach it until secondary school. I mean, ridiculous. Even in Scotland, they've overturned that. And uh, every time they try and bring that in in this country, the same argument comes out, exactly the same comments as you'll get from me saying this when you put this out, is that if you talk about sex to children that aren't yet thinking about sex, you encourage them to think about sex too early. Therefore, sex education belongs in secondary. I mean, it's totally ridiculous they're not thinking about the Tudors so let's not put thoughts of Henry VIII in their head too early in case they start beheading each other come on <laughs> grow up you teach you teach a kid about fire safety they don't, don't go and start a fire you teach a kid about hydrogen they don't go and try and explode shit in the garden well they would actually that's a poor example but yeah so anyway I just something I feel really passionate about because teenage pregnancy rates the highest in why is ours the highest in Europe we're a rich country it's, you know my mum was my mum was a very young and my nan was 16 when she had my mum my mum was barely out of her teens when she had me it's like they did they could have lived a whole life and done loads of shit they just didn't have the facts yeah, because I find a lot of conversations now with my friends when we come down to talking about social media and issues that have happened at school and like hearing, you know, my kids are still relatively young. So some some of my friends have older kids and hearing the things that have happened where a kid has said something and it's, you know, deemed wrong or whatever. And they all say, oh, it comes down to the internet and, and watching porn and whatever. But I feel like no one actually really knows what to do about it. No. Like the porn thing seems to be what everyone's talking about but nothing's changed because you can't it's obviously you can't control the internet any aspect of it now no. it's the the genie's out of the bottle so the only thing you can do as parents and or educators if you're a teacher is arm them with information i mean so me me and my daughter minna we just did a, a glamping trip just me and her in this hut it's fucking wicked and then straight away we got used to facilities is that okay daddy this is a public place you know is there going to be strangers there is it okay to get changed and, and always i'm explaining the rules to her that's her instinct now mm -hmm. just check it someone was from our area and they said oh i know that area what school do you go to i'm sorry um i don't know you well enough you're a stranger i can't tell you now that is me explaining it's not always appropriate to share your location or where someone can find you with someone you've just met now she only knew that because i taught it to her i don't want mm. to bring up a generation of kids that are paranoid and think everyone's a sexual predator because i haven't even explained stuff like that to my child but there's nothing wrong with explaining what's normal 
what should be yeah. normal to a child. And if you have a son, I don't have a son, but if I did have a son, as soon as I thought they were getting near the age where they're going to be on their phones and looking up this stuff, which sadly it can be 11 or 12 years old, I would say you're going to encounter this stuff. It's normally American people. They're actors. Everything's over the top and it's absolutely nothing like what goes on in the bedroom of adults. If you start to believe it, you will fail as a man and never have a girlfriend. I'd probably scare the shit out of him like, with something <laughs> like that. Then when he's watching it, it will always be in his mind, this is a pantomime fake version of sex. you just got to get it in there. I know it's embarrassing, but if you don't do it, your little boy's going to grow up thinking we're all supposed to be Californian porn stars and he's never going to have a healthy relationship with, with mm. women or, or with men if you get a gay son. Do you wish you had had that when you were younger? Well, I'm fine. I, you know, the internet, we, we forget how recent this is. The internet didn't even begin properly with working no, class people true. using it until 1997. I think broadband and stuff, you're looking at 2010. So most of us have not grown up. You and I now could go, right, we're going to go finish this call. Let's watch something dirty on our phone and stream at a high speed anything we want on our phone. Boom. Very recent. Our brains have finished growing. They finished growing when we were about, well, 18 if you're a girl and about 50 years old if you're a man. <laughs> But once your brain's finished growing... Not factually true. Yeah. Well, I'll give you some facts on that in a minute. If your brain's still growing and you smoke weed, for example, we know if you have a spliff when you're 14, it's much more high risk than you have a spliff when you're 18, purely because your brain's still deciding it's finished shape. So you put skunk weed over that brain at 14, higher risk of schizophrenia and behavioural issues. I truly believe, I'll probably sound like a right stick in the mud in 50 years, like some purity campaigner but i honestly believe that if you pour porn on a brain that hasn't finished growing it will warp the part of the brain that relates to sex and men think about sex a lot so if you pour poison on that part of a boy's brain that's growing to think about sex it's obviously going to grow up warped so the best thing you can do is make sure that they've got another intellectual process in place that's filtering that, knowing that it's pretend. I can go and watch a Liam Neeson movie now and watch a 70-year-old man smash the shit out of everyone and I know it's fantasy because I've been educated to know it's fantasy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think my granddad's going to go and like take out Sainsbury's or anything. <laughs> that's true. It's interesting what you say. Sorry, I know, I know I'm like a, someone's put a fucking 10p in me, but... The part of it, this is one of the most depressing facts to share with women. So I've got a lot, I've got a big family. I'm the oldest cousin, a lot of female cousins, a lot of female friends. All you know, Why does he cheat? Why does he like my friend's picture? And it's just all going for this. Just switch on Love Island if you want to know what goes on with women. Mm. I call it attracted to bastard disease. The part of a man's brain that deals with empathy, i.e., oh my God, I understand how that hurts you. Oh my God, you're making me cry. I'm getting emotional. Finishes growing when a man is anywhere between 40 and 45. That really? is scientific fact. The part of the cortex that processes true, true empathy. You'll see it with... How old's your fella now? Is he 40-odd? 41. So you'll see it. He'll start getting a bit tearful at the end of movie. Oh, my God, you're going soft. Yeah, it does. Things like that He's become in. so much softer. It, it's not soft. And I noticed it with my dad. Yes. It, I noticed it with my dad. My dad would never really, like, hug or... Yes. And I remember the moment he hugged me and told me he loved me. He'd be 40-odd. 40-odd. And the reason and he is, would have been 40 it's odd. not softness. It's the part of the, br the brain that processes those emotions and looks at someone and sees what they need finally drops into place in the 40s. Now, they think the reason... And it, obviously, with a girl, as you all know, it's between... Makes so much It's sense. between 18 and 21 in a woman. And the, and the reason there's this massive disparity, they think is, evolutionary theorists think, back in the day, 
any men that were fully empathetic and gentle at 18 were just killed. They couldn't have defended you. You know, let's try and see his point of view, the one that's invading our camp, clubbed to death. So there's been an evolutionary pressure on men over time, whether we're boxers, comedians, footballers, warriors, whatever. The less empathy you've got, probably the more successful you are. Sadly, for the Gjeldem, trying to get a boyfriend to be faithful, what I'm saying is date a guy who's 40 once you can and you'll be, it will all be gravy. <laughs> is that what you're going to teach your daughter? <laughs> no, definitely not, ironically. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's, it's, that's why there's this massive sort of disparity in male behaviour. You know, you've just got men have to use education and intellectual processes to check some of that more Neanderthal shit, which is totally possible, by the way, lads. No excuses. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you planning a party, a barbecue, or even a garden soiree this summer? Now we're getting used to hosting again, we have to cater to all the needs of our guests. Lots of my friends and family don't like to drink too much alcohol, but love the taste and the celebration, and there's no reason why they should lose out. I always make sure to have a bottle of Atopia on hand so I can rustle up a quick Atopia and tonic for the designated drivers, expectant mothers, or those who just want to take a night off. And it even goes down well with the big drinkers too. I believe moderation shouldn't come with a compromise. To get started on your cocktail journey, head over to Atopia Spirits to get inspired. Talking about internet and things like that, you have had an internet addiction, right? I would say a compulsion that I'm definitely not... A compulsion. Definitely not over. Yeah, it's just that word addiction. If you use it, you can get in trouble. I have just made a documentary yeah. about it for Radio 4, and it fulfills mm-hmm. most of the tick boxes for addiction, but not all of them. So yeah. it's, it's a grey area. But so far as I literally cannot stop myself unless I leave my phone at home definitely not over it really and what is that just going on what do you go on anything Instagram my photos even photos I've taken even in flight mode on the plane uh, I want I want to be like going through old photos or like deleting photos I don't need and then emptying my trash can I'm just clearly addicted to the the thing Um, and do you find that annoying because I find like I go through stages where I feel I'm looking at my phone but I don't even know what I'm looking at and I'm I'm annoyed at the fact that I'm looking at it but I'm still doing it. Yes, and all the time. It's so fucking annoying. And when it when it why? When it starts to be a tick box for addiction is when you're doing that rather than stuff you used to do. Something else. Which yeah. is which is what's happened. I'm a massive reader. Anyone who sees me do a podcast or film in this room, every wall is book lined. I'm definitely reading less than I was a few years ago. Sometimes I'll come in 
and this is terrible to admit, you know, I, I idolise my daughter, we're like best buddies, but I'll, I'll go upstairs, just going to get, brush my teeth, get myself sorted, and I would have built in five minutes of a bit of laying and scrolling there. Why? Mm. For what purpose? It's different if I've just dropped a video and I've got to optimise the engagement and I need to reply to the comments. So Lindsay's, my missus, she's got a good solution. She has two phones and she has one that's got her social media on like an older phone when she upgraded and that just sits in the corner. So when she wants to check Twitter or Instagram, she goes over and picks up that phone, which obviously can only, be, such a good idea. Can only be used on Wi-Fi. So keep it in your bag when you get to a restaurant because obviously with what we do, it is slightly more complicated. We have to be on social mm. media. But still, you don't need to be on it when you're on the move, when you're this and that. So whenever you've just got your 4G or your 5G, be on your normal phone and have just have the basics on there if you're running a business you're probably such a, but you haven't done that no you haven't done I've it. tried it it just doesn't work and why do you think that's it you can't you can't do it there's too many or is it because of work both i think my work is particularly in the last two years with comedy and getting content out there i had no choice it's all online and i feel like oh, i'm falling behind if i'm not constantly doing like little updates yeah. or remarks but it's got worse recently i think it's got what it's got worse recently if i'm completely honest yesterday well, yesterday really? was a really bad day bad to the point in what way i already had a lot on so i was doing two different shows recording two different shows one was at a studio location one was like this on zoom i'm writing a set for netflix i had a big gig in the evening which was being filmed to trial that set for netflix i'm working on a screenplay thing which i needed to write i was cutting a comedy music track which i just dropped yesterday and in between that scroll 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 every spare moment making a cup of tea and it was like about at 7, 8 p.m. at story time because my niece was staying and we were doing this nice group story time. I couldn't finish story time because it was like someone was pressing on both my temples and everything was swirling around in my head and all the scrolling. I thought, oh my God, am I going to have a stroke or something? I had to go downstairs and have, I just thought sugar maybe, like a sugar hit. I don't normally eat a lot of sugar, so I made a smoothie with loads of banana and honey in it. I just sat in the garden and had, literally had to have a breath of fresh air. Like I'd OD'd on info. Hmm. Lots of coffee, lots of scrolling, bang, my brain went. And my gig last night was, if I'm completely honest, a little bit flat. I was a bit sort of post-panic. You know when you sort of have one of those caffeine things where you're like, oh, I've had a moment there and you're a bit sweaty afterwards. You've got to do a night's sleep before that resets. So yeah. I, had to, I had to take that on stage last night, which wasn't nice. It was still a great set. No one in the audience would have known, but I was never but fully at home. It. Yeah, it was a weird feeling. And I swear to God, it's from that fucking phone. I swear to God. Do you not find, though, that because you were in between jobs, was that almost like a, an avoidance tactic? Like, I've got all this stuff to do, but I no, can just sit and do this. No, didn't avoid anything. That's, what, that's the worst thing about it. Nothing was avoided. No deadlines were missed yesterday. Everything was hit. And in between the gaps where I should have been sat there with a book or chilling or playing with my niece and my daughter, it was filled with pathetic scrolling. It's worse. Does your the daughter notice diversion. it? Yes, yes. Please put the phone down, Because my, my son will say, Mummy, put your phone down. Yes. Or, Daddy, are you back on your phone again? And, and when they say it, Heartbreaking. Oh, it hurts, yeah. doesn't it? Right. You just think, God, this is awful, yeah. And they're calling us out. It should be the other way around. You need some strategies in place. And you think, how can you teach them to not be on their iPads and whatever if we're on ours all the exactly. time. Exactly. That, and that's why I, I saw I saw an online counsellor for a couple of sessions, but it wasn't much good. I, thought, you know what, I think I probably do need to see someone about it because it's getting in the way of healthy existence, basically. It, it is. Going out for dinner now, I don't take my phone. As long as one of us has got a phone in case we need to call a taxi and Lindsay takes it, she's a lot more disciplined than me. Mm. I mean, it's causing a, a couple of rows in that Lindsay's turned all her alerts off. 
text message alerts, WhatsApp alerts, everything's off. So as a couple, obviously, sometimes you just want to drop a WhatsApp, please can you turn the oven on for me? I'm going to stick my dinner in when I get in and she won't see it. And then we have a row. Uh, so I have to phone all the time if I want to reach her mm. because I can't guarantee. I was going to say, does it bother Lindsay? Because yeah. I find Wayne, sometimes if we're out for dinner, I'll be like, can you stop looking at your phone? Like, obviously, I look at mine. I'm not saying it's just him, but it really irritates me or like more to the point if we're with someone else so say if we're out with another couple and someone's talking to them he'll instinctively like pick up his phone and start looking at, and I'm like someone's fucking talking to you exactly no that's embarrassing. awful I, mean, the, I get my phone goes in Lindsay's bag that's how I get around that so she she keeps really? both the phones if we need both the phones she keeps I, of course she thinks it looks lame when a bloke has a bag anyway <laughs> because my clothes my clothes are so tight you could sequence my DNA from the, my jeans <laughs> yeah. so I've got no pockets left even a credit card hurts. So Lindsay takes all my shit. She'll take my chewing gum. I have to take headphones as well because she falls asleep like a zombie on the way home and I'll need a podcast. I so she'll that. take my headphones, my phone, and she's got all my shit in her bag. And we have, that's one thing that's gone. I would never, ever on date night get my phone out. But can I go to the loo? Like, I'm just going to pop to the loo. It's difficult to go to the loo and leave her at the table and not take my phone with me for a cheeky scroll. Why do we do this? I've realised I do this. Oh, my ta- my phone will be on the table. I'll get up to go to the toilet and I pick my phone up. Terrible. Why? It's so unsanitary. It's disgusting. As well. And like a lot of men, this is this is an epidemic that men aren't talking about. Men are now doing sit down wee. <laughs> Uh, the sit-down we amongst men is taken off. I cannot tell you, girls, because because of these fucking phones. I'm straight into a cubicle, sit-down we, boom. That's I'm hitting some phone you admin. Both. Yeah, exactly. It started, I think a lot of blokes get into the habit of it if you have a baby and it's, it's female, because obviously during potty training, it's very confusing if a 12 or 18-month-old sees daddy stood up. So I had yeah. 18 months of doors open and <laughs> weeing sat down, hope that so Mina would copy me. And I've sort of realised, oh, God, I can still be on my phone while I'm doing that, and now I'm addicted. Did you find that having your daughter kind of helped you to understand all these things more? Was you kind of thinking more about men's mental health and the way you act and this whole lad or geezer Mm, thing, as you say, before? I don't think so. I think I'd got all of that sorted before I got married, to be honest, let alone had uh, Minna. I'm Mm -hmm. definitely one of the older dads at the gates. Not that you need to look at me, but birth certificate no. gives the game away. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think I'd got my shit sorted. I was, you know, the, the childhood I'd had with such an alpha male geezer, knuckle-dragging, steroid-injecting, day from Essex, you know, the metal-working, meat-eating, right-wing voting, weight-lifting mm. bouncer, fucking life god, like that. And did it you made... fit into that? No, I became the opposite. So... When all we all got sort of squirted out of the comprehensive system at 16 with shite exam results, most of my friends sort of became geezers, whereas I was just wanting to be in love and have a girlfriend. So from the age of 16 to, God, we're talking 33 here, one long-term relationship after another, maybe two weeks in between. I'd never had a one-night stand. I'd never been on a lad's holiday. I'd never shagged a girl on a holiday. I'd never had a short relationship, shorter than two years, ever. See, I just would not expect that from you. Like, the way you speak and stuff like that. That's crazy. And you talk about shagging and stuff like that and your whatever. I just would have thought you were an absolute animal. It was, as soon as a girl showed me any attention, boom, I was in love. Really? So it was very... I was just one of the guys at school that just couldn't... 
I was nerdy. I'm able to express myself with words. And as we've already established in this podcast, what girls are attracted to through about 25 is is mostly is the, stro- the stro- or the strong, silent, mysterious, masculine type. Might not be yeah. an arsehole, just might be a bit like a footballers, for example. That's why girls fancy footballers. They're athletic, they're silent, they're strong. And I was the opposite. I'm in shape now, but up until five years ago, I'm a pepper army with features, very, <laughs> very able to express my emotions, which 18-year-old girls think, oh, he's gay. Yeah. Very musical. I like dancing. I'm a good dancer. I like acting, poetry. You know, there's nothing in there for working class girls. If I'd been born in a posh postcode, all the you know the slightly eccentric posh hot girls probably I probably would have been shag central, but where I where I was from I wasn't a carpenter I wasn't a footballer I didn't have a flash car and I had no muscles so it was really hard I didn't even kiss a girl at school nothing nada so when I got to sixteen and this one beautiful girl sort of came across uh, this we were at another kid's school ball in a posh area sort of gate crashing it oh. so all the girls were posh like who's that guy and I was just taken for what I am someone who's quite funny and able to express myself even at sixteen she's this girl kissed me and that was it I, I actually this is pathetic I cried on the way home where I was so instantly oh, in love pathetic and then we were together That's for three so lovely. we were together for three years. And then it ran its course, as Teenage Love does, at 19. And then I was out recovering the first weekend in a nightclub. And through the smoke came this brunette girl, an inch taller than me. She must have seen me dancing or something, had not spoke to her, had not seen her that night. Boom, her number went in my hand. That was it. We were together three years. And it sort of went on like that. And I fell into stand-up comedy. And then you start getting female. For the first time in my life, I get female attention from everywhere. Never experienced it. Didn't know what it's like to be attracted to women because I've never experienced it. I've only ever been attracted to one woman. Mm. And uh, so I got this female attention coming at me. At first, it was fine because I was in a long-term five-year relationship. Then that split up. And I had my first taste of what it might be like to be single, to just fucking think, I could go out tonight and pull. I've never had... Uh, power's become a bit of a toxic word for men to use, but you know what I mean. I've never had any ability to make a, a woman want to have a drink with me or anything. I'm just nothing. And I made the same mistake again. I still went straight into another relationship, but with even that, when you started being successful. Well, I no, I'd already been successful a couple of years at this point. So I split up with the fu- uh. I split up with the girl I've been with for five years. And I go out single, work gets back, I'm single, and girls are starting to throw themselves at me. Nothing's happening. Right. Nothing's happening. It's the first girl, first girl that something happens with, sexually, I mean, boom, it happens again. I'm like, for fuck's sake, I've got feelings again. And I stay with her. The mistake I made this time was the memory of I could be shagging every night of the week sat in my head like a little gremlin. And weirdly, the person <laughs> was my mum who's like, if you carry on like this, just trying to put a ring on the finger of every girl who shows you attention. You are just going to keep thinking you're the one. So my mum had like pictures of me with my arms around. This is the one I'm going to marry. And it's about that fat at the back. She went, you need, you need to be single for a year on purpose. So I split up with this girl, obviously, because my head wasn't right. And that relationship went. It's my only bad breakup, really, because the poor girl, my head wasn't right. You know, I shouldn't have been getting into a relationship. No cheating or anything, but I just wasn't. I had to tell her. You know, this is not love yeah. this time round. And so then I, I had a year, forgive the language of calling it, my tour of duty in Vajganistan, where I was single for a year. <laughs> I thought, God. I am going, listen, 35 years old, never had, never been kissed by a girl 35. who I'm not in love with. I thought, I'm I go- think that's good going. I'm going for it. So I had a, I had a year where 
I, it was hair and tortoise stuff. All my friends, I overtook everyone. It was, it was like Dane Bowers on steroids. It was unreal because I can hold a conversation. And obviously dating older women, a man can have a conversation. Rather than just a sperm bank with a bank account, I could actually have a chat. Hmm. So that was it. And in the middle of all that chaos, Lindsay, who I'm married to, was one of those girls. And I was like, I had little feelings, but I had what I call my emotional condom on. That's where you don't allow yourself to fall in love with someone you've got feelings for. So I carried on six months past that until Lindsay was like, look, this is ridiculous. What's going on? You said you're on on this single thing, but you've seen me five or six times. You're sending me flowers. And was this within that year? Oh, or yeah, had you yeah. Done the year? No, within the year, I said to Lindsay. Oh, you didn't every, do the year, though. <laughs> every, every single girl who I, I went out with, I said, This is where my head's at. I t- gave them the speech I just told you. I'm not some mm. bastard that's been shagging my whole life. I'm, I'm just, I've got to do this because I'm a man and it's built into my Neanderthal bit. I will offer you no stability, no exclusivity. You might never see me again. If you still want to get pissed and party, let's do it. So it was really clear. No bullshit. But I kept seeing Lindsay and she was like, come on, I've seen you in the papers. I'll be on the red carpet with a different girl. Then another girl on a red carpet. I even took one girl to a wedding. And said, Lindsay's like, right, you're, you're sending me flowers at work. Yeah. It's not normal, like single love making anymore. It's like loving, you know, what's going on? It's time to make a decision. So I made it to 10 months. And then I said to her, Do you know what? You fucking, you're great. Boom. And I would ring went on the finger in a couple of months in and the rest is history. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. And sh- and then just like ever since you've, obviously I'm not asking like if you cheated or anything like that. I just mean like ever since you've been like, yeah, I had that year. I had, I had that the, was good. Because it wasn't a mystery anymore. Like a lot of men who get together when they're 19 or 20 with their missus, like they do around my way, it's always at the back of their head. What would it have been like to have been single? Well, I know what it's like. And it, it mm-hmm. gets boring it after gets about boring. six months because I condensed three, four, five years experience into six months. So maybe if you were just working a regular job and meeting girls at the weekend in, in the club, it would probably get boring after about three years would be my guess. And also it started to scare me. I've never really spoken about this before. It started to scare me uh, that I was unable not to go out and get laid. So I, as we know with my phone, I like, don't like anything that's like addictive behaviour. And I'd be, you know, I might be on tour. You know what that's like. So you're doing telly in the day, bit of radio, a bit might have done a corporate video, and then I've been out on the road. I'm fucked. I'm like a skull with hair on. I've got one night at home on my own. That should be sci-fi movie, curry takeaway, beer, catching up with a mate, something nerdy. And I'd sit down and I'd think. I could go out and meet a fit girl tonight. And the Neanderthal part of my brain would go, imagine in the nursing home, you'll be remembering that you didn't shag tonight. And then I would, I'd be out. And I was like... Really? Yeah. I, I just, just had to do it. Like addictive behaviour to the... And then it's But like, what if you went out and you didn't see anyone? Would it just be like, oh, she'll do? Not in like the least worst way possible, but... Yeah, well, it, it just didn't... I'm not like showing off, it just, it just didn't happen, did it? Because well, it, it, it was just... It was only a year like that. I'm not proud of it. Uh, oh, I'm a bit proud of it. And, uh, but it's... Uh, <laughs> It, it was a bit, it wasn't a she'll do. It, it was finding someone I, I was genuinely attracted to, got a connection with. And because I've got language, 
it, things move quite quickly. I think so women, once they get mm. past 25, find that refreshing. So I'm able to have a conversation before you know it. True. You know, yeah. <laughs> if I get Kane Villas, Ibiza was the worst. I mean, it was terrible. I did, a, I did an appearance at one club and I just snogged about 100 girls, snogging like I'm eight or something. Snogging. How many girls did you snog tonight? I'm five. I thought it was the most <laughs> best thing I'd ever done. Not shagged, snogging. Is that what you used to do? Don't I always say that I'm like my sister used to go out. I remember going out with her when I was like, you know, at Time and Envy in Romford <laughs> and um I was like fourteen and um I'd go out with them and they'd all be like it would be like this thing where they'd count how many they'd snogged that night. And I was yeah. just I've never been like that, I just couldn't face that. I thought of snogging loads of people. Ugh. Imagine trying to be a 15-year-old now, trying to snog well, through COVID. It's not COVID, COVID. Secure, a lot of my behaviour. It's not COVID Anyway, safe. so I had, I had um, six, <laughs> nine months, and yes, when I was with Lindsay, we, we weren't exclusive, but then as soon as I decided we got married, that was it. The drawbridge came down because I've, I've been there, I've done that. And also she's done, she's taken the advice. She's married an older man. I'm 12 years older than her. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a safer bet, apparently. Although... I will give you one more crushing statistic before you move things on. The decade of a man's life where he's most likely to cheat on a long-term relationship. Do you know what that is? No. Do I want to know? 70s. He's 70s. What? No. Uh, Statistical fact. Google it if you don't believe me. Why? Why 70s? Think it through. Just think from an evolutionary perspective. If you're nearing the end of your life and you're a fertile man... What is the most logical thing for that man to do in, a, in an animal level? Not on a moral level, not on a human level, not on a spiritual level. So up until recently, maybe the stats have changed, but the study we had when we did my podcast is, is in his 70s. At least now I, I will know it's coming. Yeah, I exactly. thought I'd done well by marrying a man that was like nine years older than me, but clearly I've not thought this through. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, 12 years between me and Lindsay. It doesn't, we never notice it though. Like whenever I go, do you remember? No, She's like, yeah. She always it. remembers the same programmes I remember. When she says, do you remember this? We So I've just, I don't know. I suppose 12 might, might be the maximum. I don't know. I think I just, I'm always waiting for the point where he'll grow up and I've I've now just come to the conclusion that that just won't happen. He will be laughing at his farts in his 60s, deal with it. And then I suppose I always ask at the end of a podcast for people to kind of give their three main tips. So as you talk so much about men's mental health and men opening up, what would be your three main tips for to encourage men to kind of open up and have conversations? Check in twice. It just, it just doesn't happen. So, for example, don't worry, I'm changing the names. Let's say my mate David, my, my, my mate David the other day, we knew I could just tell something's wrong. So someone drops goat porn on the group. Someone says something about Arsenal. Someone says something about Tottenham. Someone sends a picture of some boobs of someone who's on TV. And Dave's not joining in the way he normally would. Yeah. And uh, Dave's just sending the odd normal remark. Dave might leave the group. I'm just I'm overwhelmed with my alerts on my phones, guys. Don't panic. I'm just leaving the group for you. To me, that is like something bad is going wrong. Dave's got a good job, an amazing, a beautiful girlfriend who he loves and he loves her, and a, a great house. Everything's great. So what's going on with Dave? So you send on the side group. You're right, Dave. Yeah, fine, mate. Just stressed. And that's where a lot of men leave it. That's not good enough. Keep going until he tells you to fuck off, you're annoying him. That's when you stop. Mm. If he doesn't tell you that, there is stuff there to be shared. It's as simple as that. Come on, Dave, you left the group, what's going on? Hit him with a phone call, hit him with a voicemail. Text and WhatsApp is such an easy get out as well. 
It's not the same as hearing someone's voice. And even hearing someone's voice on the phone is not the same as seeing someone in person. So what I would say to Dave on that occasion is, mate, can't bullshit me. And even if you are, I don't care. I fancy a pint. Where are we going? If you actually give a shit about this person, and particularly if your friendship group is men aged 29 to 51, that is the high risk group. Men, as they enter this phase we're talking about, they're brain finishing growing and they get to 35 40 it dawns on a lot of men right so wherever i am now this is me this is as much as i'm going to be this is the most going to it's bollocks by the way a lot of men start their most successful businesses in their 40s and 50s but that's the thought that occurs to some men and bang that's when the, the suicide happens to put it bluntly mm. so check in to an annoying degree all that's going to happen is you'll be told mate i'm all right seriously thank you but i'm all right please leave me alone. And he might need some time or he might need some space. I would still personally turn up at the front door with a six pack personally. So I know it feels weird and it doesn't come easy if you're Terry and you're a plasterer and you just want to focus on grouting and send a picture of a goat being given a hand job by someone on a gif. And I know that's your instinct, but check in more than once. You might save someone's life. And the same for a woman trying to approach a man. Just exactly the same. I guess in. so, yeah. I, I guess it's hard. The, what I will say is for wives and, and girlfriends, it's you might be a bit too close. Uh, you might be part of the thing he's insecure about. Not that you've done anything mm. wrong, but if he feels like he's failing as a man to put a big enough rock on your finger or a flash enough car for you to drive in or he's not giving the kids the life he should, you might be triggering in that sense. So you so maybe a, ask what, a friend. Yes, as a girl, you could message one of his friends and say, "Lee, do you know, do you mind just or a brother or or his mum or something like that?" And the mum again could be problematic, but mm-hmm. you know, not everyone could be safe. But you do look at some of these stories and you do think, "God, did everyone check in enough?" You know, I lost a female friend last year. Someone in the public eye, who you all know, who used to present a very prominent. TV show, reality dating show, and I wished I'd just, I did check in twice. I did WhatsApp. I did iMessage. I wish I'd just fucking been a bit more annoying. I know on her list of friends, I'm down in like the DE list, but I was someone that would text and speak to her. Sometimes it's nice for a girl to speak to a boy, a, a straight man about men. You can get it's just nice and it's to speak to the opposite sex sometimes about stuff. Particularly, so I'd say to some of the lads, if you've got a female friend you can trust, sometimes it can be a good place to go because a girl who you're not sexually or emotionally involved with and is not your sister or your mum can sometimes give you the LD on what's going on with your sex life or whatever or anything. So I, it is a regret that I did not, and I know it's stupid and irrational, I wish I'd been a bit more annoying when that was going on last year. Same. Just be annoying. You yeah. know, no one's ever topped themselves because their mate was annoyingly checking in on them. No one. No one. I think that comes from as well, like you said, you you were on the lower list of friends and you feel like they've got other people to do that instead of you. And actually, sometimes the lower down the list you are, the easier it is for them to open up. That's such an important point. The amount of times I've got in a... I might have got in an Uber with a driver who speaks English, but is from Afghanistan. And for whatever reason... I suddenly start telling him about my insecurities or being away from home or missing my children. That's my main thing, my child. My main thing with being a stand-up or any job where you have to be away from home is the heartbreak of I'm a shit dad, my daughter, I'm not there for my daughter, she's growing up. It's like me and Lindsay are like divorced people sometimes because I'm away so much. 
And then I'll come home and Minna wants to play with me. So Lindsay runs off to get her chores done. It's like, fucking hell, we're handing the kids across like we're divorced. I just found myself sharing all this shit with some Afghan dude mm. who just was doing like an eight pound fare. <laughs> so if I can share that with my my taxi driver. driver with English as a second language, may, maybe I could share it with, a, like you say, a lower tier friend. Mm. The girls group sometimes can be so close. Maybe there's, or a work colleague can sometimes be good mm. if it's safe and a safe space. There's no easy solution, but particularly men aged 29 to 55, it's not COVID killing them. It's not testicular cancer. It's not heart attack. It's suicide. Number one cause of death. And that is unacceptable. Very true. Thank you so much. I knew I was going to love talking to you. You can literally talk so much, but everything you say is so interesting. There's a lot Um, of money in it, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) When I pick up a microphone and put bums on seats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I think that would have been so interesting and so helpful for so many people. My um, pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind. I hope this has really been helpful for you. If you have been affected by this episode or would like to find out any more information regarding mental health, then please head over to mind.org.uk. And please follow me on Instagram and look out for my stories where I reveal each new guest and collect all of your fantastic questions to put forward to them. See you next time. Are you trying to cut down on alcohol to boost your well-being? Well, personally, I love going out for drinks with my friends, but hate how I feel the morning after. And that's why I decided to moderate my alcohol intake with Atopia. They have an ultra-low alcohol spirit that tastes just as good as my usual drink without any of the nasty side effects or embarrassing photos. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Wake up with a spring in your step and your well-being in check. Available from Waitrose and online.